All right, I'd like to welcome everybody to another exciting episode of The Situation with my good friend, Jersey Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? Haas, I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I really am. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, uh, to be with you and share the microphone and uh, learn something, as I always do. All right. Well, today's our uh, third episode. And, and for those who have not uh, listening for the first time, uh, the subtitle of the show is Jersey Joe. It's news and perspective you won't hear on TV. And what do I mean by perspective? Now, in the evening news, you might hear a story about how some of our elected officials voted on a particular issue. But what you won't hear is why they voted the way they did. You might also hear some shocking statistics. Like, oh, my God, you know how, you know, I didn't know that. Oh, that's shocking. But what you won't hear is is how they arrived at those numbers. And today I'm going to talk about those. In fact, it brings to mind one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain, who said, there are lies, damn lies and statistics. And mm -hmm. he, also said, he also said that the figures don't lie, but liars figure. So I'm going to walk through some statistics today on topics of uh, school shootings and mass shootings. I'm going to talk about uh, my quote of the day is going to be uh, by economist Milton Friedman. Uh, on our science minute, I'll talk about uh, why icebergs melting uh, in the ocean won't do what a lot of people think they do. I'll talk about why teenagers can no longer buy whipped cream in New York State. I'll talk about uh, the fiasco with uh, uh, California's attempt to put a high-speed rail network between, Cal between Los Angeles and San Francisco and what that might mean in terms of Biden's promise of creating an, a, nation, a nationwide high-speed rail network. Now, talk about the, uh, the, this uh, student loan uh, plan that was unveil unveiled late last week and what's true and not true about the 5% of income repayment lie and how it's going to make a bad situation worse. Uh, and then finally, uh, for those who are not aware, I try to close every show with what I call a taxpayer relief shot. This is where a Ordinary citizen um, is forced to defend themselves against an assailant or intruder and winds up uh, killing that legally in self-defense, shooting and killing that uh, assailant. And the reason I call it a taxpayer relief shot is when that happens and the, uh, the thug winds up dead, it saves the taxpayers the cost of uh, jury trial and imprisonment, which can run fifty dollars to $80,000 a year, saves the taxpayers a lot of money. So with that, any questions before I get rolling? Holy cow! No, that's a lot of stuff. Let's go. I'll try to get, I'll try to fit it in here. All <laughs> right. So, uh, how, uh, what do you know about Milton Friedman, if anything? Well, I know the name, um, and I know he's often quoted, but unfortunately, I can't tell you much more than that. All right. Well, Milton Friedman died oh five or six years ago, but he was one of the greatest economists of our time. He was a Nobel prize-winning economist. He's got many, many famous quotes. Uh, but here's one that I think is particularly relevant to our current situation. And here's, and here's that quote on inflation. And he said, inflation is made in Washington because only Washington create money and any other attribution to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. Trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce, don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. Uh, what's your reaction to his, his, his take on 
inflation. Yeah, What's your take on that? I think he's spot on. Right. And when we talk about creating money, when the government says, hey, we're going to spend a trillion dollars on this program, obviously we don't have that. It's not, we don't have that. We're running, this year we're probably going to run about a $1.5 trillion deficit. So we're not taking in enough tax money to pay for the things we're doing. So when the government says we're going to spend an extra trillion, they basically borrow it. They tell the Federal Reserve, go print us an extra trillion dollars of $100 bills. And then by spending it, they inject that money into the economy. Well, as you inject money into the economy, you create uh, the money, you increase the money supply. There's more money in people's hands and more money chasing a finite or shrinking amount of goods is how you get inflation. So I think he was spot on. Yeah. So any questions on inflation? No, not at all. Other than I know I don't like it. We've got it. <laughs> we got it. All right. So let's talk about the uh, the promise of a national high speed rail network. You know that they're saying we could have this in place in twenty years. Well, let's look at what California's tried to do, and then you tell me if you think that promise is at all realistic. Now, in two thousand eight, California voters approved a bond issue in the amount of ten billion to partially fund the construction of a high-speed bullet train that would run just between LA and San Francisco, which by the way, is a distance of only 320, 382 road miles. And at that time in 2008, the estimated cost was 33 billion, the difference coming from the federal government, 10 billion from California, 23 from the federal. And the targeted completion date was 2020. Now, fast forward, it's now 2022. Have you heard about people riding on the California bullet train? You know, I haven't, but I sure have heard all the promises uh, about it. But yeah, I've, I've heard absolutely nothing. Well, that's uh, because no trains are running. Uh, there is no track completed. And the, the, the revised target date is now 2033. Wow. Now, from 2000, so that's more than twice the original completion date. The projected route has now grown to more than 500 miles because every politician on the state legislature says, well, you have to make it stop in my town. Yeah. So instead of being a straight run from LA to San Francisco, it's going through Bakersfield and Fresno and all these towns you never heard of. Uh, and it's stopping at all these out of the way places. So, you know, even though the train in theory can do 200 miles an hour, when you're stopping, you know, every 15, 20 miles at every little podong town, um, you're gonna be lucky. I, I, at the most recent estimate, I think they said you will be lucky to do like 90 miles an hour. Um, in addition to a, a new date of 2033, and I'd be willing to bet my house that it won't be complete in 2033, um, that original cost of 33 billion, you wanna guess what the current uh, projected cost is? I would say it's probably easily double that. Try triple, try 105 billion. And of course, with inflation, that 105 billion is just going to balloon. And by the way, if you, if you didn't do the math in your head, 105 billion uh, for 500 track miles is $210 million per track mile. $210 million per mile. And um, that's only construction costs and doesn't include the operating and maintenance costs and the interest expense and the bonds that have been sold to help finance the project. Now, and those bonds include, include both the California state bonds and the U.S. Treasury bonds since any, any federal funding for the project 
increases our annual budget deficit, and that deficit is financed by the sale of U.S. Treasury notes. So what would the annual operating expense of that 500-mile rail route be? Well, if we take the Amtrak data, and Amtrak's got 21,000 miles of track, so they've got a lot of experience running a railroad. Um, they spend $143,000 per route mile to operate and maintain their Amtrak rail system. Um, applying that figure to the 500 route miles for the proposed bullet train system would yield an annual operating cost for that train system of $71 million per year in op operating costs. And if you add to that the bond cost, if you assume just a 3% interest on those California and federal bonds, um, that's $3 billion per year in bond interest on top of that uh, $171 million in operating costs. So if you combine those two together, you get $3.86 billion per mile. So excluding the construction costs, what does that work out to per passenger annually? Well, if you generously assume a thousand passengers a day, that's 500 going north and 500 coming back the other way, times seven days a week, and that happens thousand passengers a day, seven days a week, that's 365,000 passengers per year. Dividing that 3.86 billion annually by the operating interest expense of, uh, of uh, by 386 billion by 365,000, that comes out to $10,575 per passenger, <laughs> per passenger. Good now, night. you say, well, maybe, Joe, maybe your estimate of 1,000 passengers a day is too low. What if it's 2,000 passengers a day? Well, that would drop it to $5,287 per passenger. How about we triple it to 3,000 passengers per day? Well, that comes out to $3,525 per passenger. Um, and what's the projected one-way ticket price that they intend to charge from L.A. to San Francisco? You want to guess? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, it's not going to be as, as much as that. Um, I mean, I would think you could fly from L.A. to San Francisco for two, three hundred bucks easily. But well, yet actually, actually you're, you're, they, they, their proposed ticket price in uh, 2000. Uh, $21 is $86 one way. Now, what's the airfare? Well, if you go on Travelocity, you can find dozens of flights between LA and San Francisco for $136 round trip, which oh. is which is $68 one way. Oh, geez. And so, by the way, you can do the, uh, the trip time between LA and San Francisco on an airplane, including taxi time, of one hour and 26 minutes. The rail time, which would cost more, is uh, three hours. So, um, because you're stopping all these little out of the way. Places. Right. So, uh, so what it comes down to at even 3,000 a passenger day, $3,000 per passenger each way, it would be far more effective for the taxpayers of California and the United States taxpayer if starting next year, the state of California just said, we will provide anyone who wants to go between LA and San Francisco a free airplane ticket. They would save billions of dollars by giving everybody free air between free airfare between those two cities. Um, yeah, but that won't work because <laughs> that way nobody's pocket gets padded. <laughs> and I suspect that's really the bottom line of this thing. Somebody's making a lot of money. 
Uh, well, there, you know, I mean, the, the amount of the contract, I mean, $105 billion is going to be spent. Uh, obviously, that's the current estimates. Um, wouldn't surprise me if it gets doubled. But yeah. the even bigger implication is if it costs, if it's going to cost the state, assume for a minute the state of California can actually do it for that uh, uh, frightening number. What would that what would that reset the cost of a national uh, high speed rail system? It would be in the trillions and trillions, the tens of trillions of dollars. And if it's going to take them 20 years to do 500 miles, how long? Do you <laughs> and again, we're talking a high speed rail network. I think the last estimate was 25,000 track miles. OK, 25 because you can't run high speed bullet trains on our current tracks. Most right. of them are not suitable. Sure. So we're talking, you know, building out 25,000 track miles at 100 and what I say, 140 million dollars per track, the two hundred. $210 million per track mile. You would bankrupt the country and it would take you, I don't know, 70, 80 years to complete the network. So wow. uh, so that's why I'm skeptical to say the least about the likelihood of us ever seeing a national high-speed uh, net rail network. All right, um, let's talk about icebergs. And first I wanna distinguish between a glacier and an iceberg. Haas, what's the difference between a glacier and an iceberg? Well, a glacier, I believe, is something that's on a mountain that's on land, and an iceberg is a floating chunk of ice. Correct. Now, in fairness, when a glacier melts, because it's being supported by land and runs into the ocean, a melting glacier will, in fact, cause the sea level to rise. But the scare stories you hear is, oh, the Arctic, elk, uh, Arctic ice shelf, a chunk of the ice shelf, which is a floating shelf, the size of Manhattan is might break loose. You know, it's a seven mile mm -hmm. long by three mile wide, might break loose. And if it drifts into warm water and melts, it's gonna raise ocean and cold, cause flooding of coastal towns. Doesn't happen. Ice is less dense than water. And here's an, and uh, when, an, when ice melts, it raises the water level it's floating in by exactly zero. That's because the water, is less dense than the ice, and the water, the the when the ice melts, the water that results fits into the same space that the ice was uh, taking up in the water. And here's an experiment: if you take a styrofoam cup or an insulated mug, pack it, pack full of ice as tight as you can, and then fill it with water right to the brim, and set it on a paper towel. And by the way, the reason I say styrofoam cup or insulated mug, we don't want to get condensation. Uh, confusing the thing here. So you take this dry mug, insulin, sit on a paper towel, fill it with the water, and now the ice will be protruding a half inch or an inch above the top of the cup. Let it sit there for a couple hours and melt. And as that ice melts, you will find out that the water from the ice will fit in exactly the same spot that the ice was occupying. And not one drop of the, the water in the cup will not raise by even one millimeter. So floating ice when it melts, does not raise sea levels. So that's our science minute for the day. Awesome. All right. So let's move on. With all the, uh, with 5,000 people a year in New York State dying of fentanyl and drug overdoses, 1,000 people a year being murdered, uh, the state legislators and the governor in New York State decided they had to deal with the pressing whipped cream issue. Uh, apparently, uh, some teenagers in New York State would go to a grocery store 
buy a can of pressurized whipped cream. And I don't know if you know this, but whipped cream is pressurized with nitrous oxide, which can give you a high. Uh, and they said, well, we don't want teenagers buying whipped cream because they're sniffing the nitrous oxide and getting a nitrous. So right now, if you're 19 years old, you can't buy a can of whipped cream. And that's the most in, in New York State. That's the most pressing uh, political news of the day. Uh, can you buy whipped cream in Arizona if you're 18 years old? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Jeez. But, all right. Let's move on to student loans. You've heard that uh, Biden announced that we'd reset it so that uh, people with student loans, in addition to forgiving ten or twenty thousand dollars, ten thousand if you didn't have a Pell Grant, twenty thousand if you did, that you will only have to make a minimum payment of quote five percent of your monthly income. Well, that's not true. What the what the real uh, what if you read the fine print, it's five percent of discretionary income. And you know what the difference cost between your monthly income and your discretionary income is? Well, discretionary income is a lot less than your monthly income. Right. And you know how the um, federal government defines it? Oh, well, that, that that's a whole different story, I'm sure. All right. <laughs> Well, if, if you read the fine print on the student loan repayment plan, and this is in the White House press release, and then you go look up government definition of discretionary income, they define discretionary income as only that income that is above 150% of poverty level. So let's say that, say, and poverty level varies with if you're married, if you have kids. Right. But let's say poverty level is, in for your family situation, is 20 grand. 150% of 20 grand is 30 grand. So if you have a uh, $50,000 household income, you and your wife are working, you're not paying 5% of 50 grand, you're paying 5% of 20 grand because 5%, because the amount of your income, your discretionary income is not 50,000, it's 20,000. So, and let me tell you what that works out to. And these were examples that were in the White House press release. Uh, they said a, a typical nurse making $77,000 a year with married to two kids would pay only $61 a month on their undergraduate loans. Now, if you divide 77,000 by 12, um, uh, that comes out to less than 1% of her monthly income. It's 0.95%. Now, there is still interest occurring on the loans, but the US taxpayer is gonna pick up the difference between what would have been $295 a month and the $61 that she has that she has to pay. So the other uh, $230 a month, the U.S. taxpayers are going to pay for. And uh, let me ask a question. Let's assume you could pay a lot more than that. Or let's say your rich uncle Harry died and left you enough money to pay off your loan. But you've got a loan. Let's say you had a $60,000 loan and you're paying and you're only paying uh $61 a month on it, which works out to a interest rate of 1.1%. Would you pay back a 1.1% loan, even if you had the money in your bank account? Absolutely not. Uh, you could put that, let's assume your Uncle Harry died and left you the 60 grand. You could put that 60 grand in a U.S. Treasury bond at 3% interest, which is 1.1%, pay the $61 and pocket the difference. Sure. So you would have to be insane to pay back a 1% loan. So uh, so not only won't the amount of student loan debt in this country get smaller, it'll get worse because only complete idiots will repay their any their their loans 
uh, if they can get away with paying a 1% interest rate on their loan. So once again, government has come up with a marvelous plan that will only make a bad situation worse. So, but they're consistent. That's, that's my rant on, on wow. student loan repayment. And again, I'm not that opposed to the $10,000 or $20,000 reduction if you're a hardship case. But this thing about 5% of your discretionary income, uh, that is just one of the, the most idiotic conditions I ever heard of. Crazy. All right. So we've only got a few minutes left. So I want to talk about uh, confirmation bias and how, how uh, the news, the TV misleads you with uh, statistics. Now, first of all, uh, what, have it, what is that? Haas, have you heard the term confirmation bias? No, I have not. Well, we all have it. Uh, what confirmation is, it, it's when you have a predisposed when, that when you have a predisposed belief is so strong that you're willing to believe outrageous claims and statistics, and you don't even think about fact checking them as long as they are consistent with your pre, with those predisposed beliefs or values. We all fall victim to it. Like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't doubt that for a minute. Well, right. guess what? Both sides do it. Republicans yep. do it. Democrat, liberals, conservatives. You hear something, atheists do it, uh, Christians do it. They make these outrageous statements. And if you're inclined to believe that, you're going to swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. So so let's go on to uh, definitions, because I've talked about confirmation bias and definitions. So let's first talk about school shootings. Haas, when you hear the, the, the term school shooting, what does that bring to mind for you? It brings to mind things like Columbine and Sandy Hook, where you have a, a shooter that enters a campus uh, with a an assault-type rifle and uh, just opens fire on a bunch of kids and teachers. Right, exactly. And that's what I think most people, it brings to mind that a gunman entering a school and firing wildly and repeatedly at students and teachers. Um, so if you agree with that's what most people think of when they hear the term how do you think any of these fit in? How about a drug deal gone bad in the school playground at 10 o'clock on a Friday night with some shots fired? Is that a school shooting? Shouldn't be. How about police chasing a bank robber and wind up shooting and killing him on the uh, Vermont High School snow-covered football field in December? Is that Shouldn't. a school shooting? Shouldn't no? be. How about a teacher committing suicide in his car in the school parking lot? Nope. How about a college senior uh, at a frat party gets shot and killed outside a frat house at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night while the party's in progress inside the frat house? Is that a school shooting? Shouldn't be. Nope. How about a police officer giving a firearm safety course in a school in, at night at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night, accidentally discharges his gun and puts a bullet in the ceiling tile? Is that a school shooting? No. Well, guess what? If you listen to the evening news... Each and every one of those incidents that I just described has been included in this outrageous. Well, so far this year, we've had 27 school shootings as of May. And you'll hear statistics like that. And by the way, and that was the NPR report as of May 25th. They said we had 27 school shootings as of May 25th in this country. Wow. And each and every one of those, their definition is a gun discharged in or near a school. It can be a block away. It can be. When the school, in fact, one was a school was closed for the Thanksgiving holidays. And over the Thanksgiving holiday, somebody came by and shot out some windows with a pellet gun while the school, school was closed for the winter recess. They classified, they counted that as a school shooting. So 
crazy. Now, so if we define a school shooting as an incident where somebody uh, it brings a gun into school during school hours and intentionally discharges it with the intent to kill another student or teacher, that number of 27 as of the end of May drops to just nine. And in the vast majority of those nine, it was where it was a bullying thing and they came in and were targeting just one individual. They weren't shooting. It was like one student has been bullied right. and you know, shooting his you know, tormentor. So if we eliminate those incidents where the shooter was targeting just a specific individual, you know how many of that 27 drops to? One, Uvalde. Is that right? Wow. One, Uvalde. So, yeah, school shootings are not school shootings where you might randomly be shot uh, by a student or a gunman bringing to school, you know, happens in this country. Doesn't happen. Uh, doesn't happen four times a month. It happens twice a year, maybe. So now let's move on to mass shootings. And again, it's all about the definition. Uh, you know, we had in the last 10 days, we've had uh, two, you know, pub very uh, public mass widely reported mass shooting incidents and a number i heard on the news the other day is that we've had over 400 mass shootings uh in this country so far this year and that's almost two a day every day that's pretty shocking isn't it yeah and uh, my uh local news channel's not covering those because i have not heard reports on uh, about that many that's crazy you, mean, you can't name 14 mass shootings in that that we've had in this country in the last seven days <laughs> No, I'm sorry. How about 14 in the week before that? No, not at all. Well, Haas, what do you think of when you hear the term mass shooting? What do you think of? Well, I think of what happened in Las Vegas where the, where the guy, you know, was in a hotel and he shooting everybody down in the in the town square. Uh, I think somebody in a big shopping mall who just opens fire, you know, on, a, on the mass, you know, um, and I think that's what most people would perceive a mass shooting as. Well, then let me ask you a question. If any of these fit your definition of a mass shooting, how about two groups of gangbangers in Chicago on a Saturday night taking uh, gunshots at each other, four get wounded. So you got multiple shooters, four get wounded, taken to the hospital, treated and released. Nobody dies. Is that a mass shooting? No. How about a shootout between uh, rival drug dealers in a drug house, two dead, two wounded? Mass shooting? No. Um, how about two guys in or outside of a nightclub at two in the morning, get into an argument and start taking pot shots at each other, three wounded, one die mass shooting. No. How about domestic violence incidents where an ex-husband goes to his former in-laws home and shoots his ex-wife, her new boyfriend and her parents mass shooting. No. And which is consistent by the way, the U S government definition, which has been used by the congressional research office when they give reports to Congress on mass shootings. Their definition, and I want you to listen to each word because each part is important. It's four or more victims killed by a single shooter at random in a public place, which is, I think, very close to the definition you gave me. Sure. So keep in mind the elements. Four more deceased victims, not just wounded, deceased. Single shooter, which means when you've got these gangs doing shots at each other, uh, it's not a single shooter. It's multiple shooters. When you've got domestic violence or when you've got gang members shooting at each other, the victims are not random. They're targeted. They're known to the shooter. So if we apply the U.S. government definition, which is pretty close to what you think of and what I think of and what I think most people here think of when they hear mass shooting, 
what happens to those 420, that 420 mass shooting statistic? What would your guess be, Haas, in terms of mass shootings so far this year? Well, I would think it'd be down under 50. How about down under 10? Wow. Okay. Try nine, which, by the way, is 1.9% of the 420 number you hear on TV. It's wow. less than 10. Uh, you can count them on two hands, less than 10. And in the typical year, you know, and by the way, most of those are where you've got a fired employee comes back and starts shooting up, you know, his employer's place of business. And even then you could say, well, is it really, are the victims really random? You know, if, if it's an ex-employee. Sure. And is, a, and is a factory really a public place? Uh, but even if you include those incidents of what I call workplace violence, even including those, you know, you're down, you're down under 20. So when you hear, a, so my point is, when you hear those alarming and hyperbolic statistics quoted by a reporter on TV, before you post or repeat that claim, do yourself and friends a favor and do some fact checking first. Your friends will thank you for it. So absolutely. All right. So. Hassas I was tried to cram in for day, but anything you want to add before I move on to my close here? No, it's just a lot to absorb. I need to start taking notes, you know, <laughs> because because I hear those claims all the time, and I want to be able to come back with something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's great information, it truly is. Good. Well, again, I'm going to put a lot of every time. Uh, I, I do have a website, jerseyjoe.com, which is Jersey with a Z, J-E-R-Z-E-E, -E, jerseyjoe.com. And everything I talk about in each show, I'm going to put up as well as my, my podcast. I was just pointing to your name. Oh, Jersey Joe. There yeah, it is. Right. Jersey Joe <laughs> so jerseyjoe.com, uh, you'll find everything I talk about. I'll put links to some of this stuff. Uh, but I wanted to thank all of you who listened to this podcast for giving up 30 minutes out of your busy day to listen to me ramble on about things that I find of interest and importance. And I hope you found those topics as interesting and important as I did. And if so, I hope you continue to listen to this podcast in the weeks and months to come. And if you want to see some of those materials and story links you heard me talk about today, as I just mentioned, you'll be able to find them either on the KHEAT show page for the Jersey Joe show or on my website at jerseyjoe.com. And if you want to email me with comments, questions, or even suggested topics for the show, you can do that by sending me an email to just joe at jerseyjoe.com. Just remember to spell jersey with a, Z, with a Z. And Haas, that's all we got. I'll see you next week. All right. Sounds good, my friend. You take care. And uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye.